0: Hello, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome to our 2021 Step Over message. Praise God. We are departing the year of 2020. It's been a very difficult year uh, for the entire planet, and we're moving into the year 2021. Of course, I can't promise you that difficulties and challenges will go away. Many of those things will remain, of course, in the earth, but we have God's promises, we have God's Word, we have God's covenant and the lord is well able to take care of his people and i believe that 2021 you're going to continue to move upstream just like the salmon going upstream when the current of the world sweeps downstream the current of negativity of fear of sickness of disease and all of those yucky things that are out there financial difficulties etc nevertheless you are going upstream and i believe this is going to be the greatest year of your life yet. Woo! Glory to God! And I want to invite you to come with me tonight to our key verse, which is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. And let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that we are closing out this old year of 2020, and we're stepping into the new year and we know that you have blessing for us, you have provision, you have health, you have wisdom, you have anointing. Woo! Praise you, Lord. And so, Father, we are excited in our hearts about what you're doing, because it's the hour of, of the church. It's our time to enjoy your goodness, and that even should the world be in darkness, yet we have a place like the Israelites did, called Goshen, and we are in a place of exemption from all the calamities that are out there because of our walk with You and the covenant. Father, we give You praise. Let Your Word shine in our hearts. Let Your Holy Spirit illuminate these scriptures tonight that we'll cover. And Lord, let the prophetic Word be sealed in our hearts for victory. Now Father, we give You praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Around the world, let's all agree and say, Amen. Praise God. Now, many of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 54, and of course, verses 2 and 3 are power-packed. They're loaded with many wonderful promises, but in order to get to verses 2 and 3, we have to go through verse 1. And I think verse 1 can be one of those verses we want to rush over we we don't want to assign that verse to ourselves. We want to skip it, and uh, maybe even if it's obvious, pretend that it doesn't really pertain to us. Yet sometimes in our secret place with the Lord, it seems like there is perhaps this issue floating around the room, and let's talk about it. I'm not saying it's an elephant in the room that we're ignoring, but I am saying that for many Christians, without question. It's a reality of something that has persisted, but it's changing now. Verse 1, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. So we're, we're dealing with the liberation of barrenness, this inability to produce, despite perhaps a, a good prayer life, despite perhaps the time that you're in the Word and you believe the Word, uh, despite maybe some pretty good efforts, you still step back and you think, Lord, uh, it seems like there should be some more productivity here than what I'm seeing. Why, why, uh, why does it seem that maybe we have a situation here of barrenness? Just this inability to produce on the level that the Gospels and the Epistles confirm that we have the ability and the authority to be walking in. Lord, what's going on? Praise God. Well, I'm here tonight to tell you that these areas of barrenness in your life are finished. Praise the Lord. And that 2021 is going to be a year. Are you hearing me today? It's going to be a year of productivity, unlike anything you have ever seen before in your life. So in light of that, sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth in the singing and cry aloud. So things are changing. Right now, as you're listening to this prophetic message, the atmosphere, the situation, and the circumstances are changing in your life. God is moving on your behalf. Now verse 2 and 3 we love, but we have to go first through verse 1. Verse 2, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. What businessman or businesswoman wouldn't like that? What ministry or minister would not be excited about that promise? We all love the increase, the blessing of God, verse 3, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So, my friends, 2021 is going to be a year of enlargement. It's going to be a time of expansion. It's going to be a time of growth, and you're going to see it. Break forth quickly in your life. But, but first, we do need to cover verse 1 in a little more detail. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Now, we'll swing back in just a little bit to verse 2 and 3, and we'll shout about it, and we'll rejoice in it, but let's work a little bit more through verse 1. This thing of barrenness can't produce. Uh, You might be sick, And you know the healing promises of God, and you're believing God for healing, but there just has not been that production uh, uh, where you're seeing that manifestation. Perhaps you have a business, you have a company, and you're like, Lord, I'm putting a lot into this, more than others maybe who are doing good how come mine has not yet achieved that lift? Lord, am I invisible? Why is it that I seem to be passed by while others have their turn and they have their opportunity? Lord, when is it my time to come out of the shadows? My friends, I'm here to tell you that your time has come. But I don't want you to think that an acknowledgement of any barrenness in your life is something that you should feel awkward or, or ashamed or embarrassed about, because when we look in Scriptures, we see that there were quite a few women who God took them on this journey of barrenness, human impossibility, the frustration that would go along with that, to a point of not only producing, but producing something That brought a lot of glory to God. So let's look at a few of those examples tonight as all barrenness is leaving your life right now, all of it, all of it, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Let's start tonight in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to go directly to verse 30. And it says, But Sarah excuse me, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Pastor Stephen, how come she didn't have any children? Because she was barren, (laughs) and she, she has this thing that she can't shake. She has a lot of other things going for her. She's married a great man, and we know from Scripture that she has other blessings in her life. It says that she's very beautiful, she's very attractive, has a lot going for her, except she can't produce. And maybe you know that feeling. You've got a lot of good things going in your life. You, you could check a lot of good boxes. God's blessed me in this area. God's blessed me in this area. But over here in this area, that means so much to me. Nothing's going on. Nothing's moving. Well, Sarah knew what that was like. Now, the name Sarai means princess. She's going to get a name change. Now, we see that in Genesis chapter 17, Genesis 17, verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. Bye-bye, barrenness. Hallelujah. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples, shall be from her. Sarai means princess. Sarah means princess as well, but it denotes a different meaning. It literally means not just a princess of your own life, not just a princess in your own world as unto yourself, but it now means a princess over nations. It has more of a regality to it than what it did before. Now, in the Hebrew, Sarah actually can be translated as my princess. This is fascinating. God now names her and calls her my princess. I think before that, she had the princess mentality, but as unto herself. Remember where they came from, her and her husband. They came out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and their ancestry was that of moon worshippers. That is the area that's known as the Fertile Crescent, and it's a great place to grow crops, but in that Fertile Crescent there was a plethora of idolatry with the moon being worshipped, and you still see today that crescent moon as a symbol for certain religious followers that, that are following the wrong thing. You certainly don't want to follow the moon or worship the moon, but that was their background. And so they come out of that, and God has spoken to Abraham, and a good thing is going on. So in that process, Sarah, remember, let me say it like this. Anytime there is strength, anytime there is an anointing, take Samson, for instance, incredible anointing manifested through superhuman acts of strength. Anytime there's strength like that, or beauty like Sarah had, any manifestation of strength or beauty, Satan will want to humiliate that. And you've got to be aware of that. He's going to want to twist it. He's going to want to get in there and mess it up and mar it so it doesn't glorify God, but it now becomes something that's sensual and perverted and deformed, and you can't even recognize God in it. Samson had his journey. I believe Sarah had hers also from being this person that even Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt looked at her and just like told his assistants, whew, I don't know who that person is, but go get that lady. I've got to have that lady. She's going to be my my next queen. And you know, Uh, Abraham wasn't quite sure how to handle it. Had a, had a yellow streak in his spine. uh, Didn't have enough, uh, you know, he thought he was going to get killed if he didn't kind of play along with this and said, oh, that's my sister. So, you know, of course, the Lord dealt with Pharaoh severely before he ever uh, touched Sarah or anything like that. But she had that strength, and she knew she had that. She was the princess. But she reaches this point where she's so frustrated. It means nothing. What does it matter if you're the princess, but you can't have what you really want? You can't be who God really wants you to be. And so, name change from being your own princess, your own glamour, eyes looking on you, applauding you, people taking your picture everywhere, putting you on magazine covers because you're so pretty, but yet you're barren the whole time. It doesn't mean anything. Now, she's God's princess, my princess, praise the Lord. So, there is something to that barrenness, where God is working something because he has a special purpose. Amen. And that purpose was accomplished in Sarah. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go over to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Genesis 25, verse 21, and we're going to look now at Rebekah, who was the wife of Isaac. Now Isaac pleaded. With the Lord for his wife. Notice that it doesn't say that Rebecca's doing all the pleading. Lord, deliver me! Lord, deliver me from this barrenness! I I don't know. I'm sure she didn't like it. I'm sure she was frustrated up to here with this inability to produce. And all of these promises are riding on this what God has promised Abraham and Sarah. Well, they've, they've done their part. They had the miracle child. Sarah got pregnant. Now they've got, uh, they have Isaac, but he's in the same dilemma. Now his wife is barren as well. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. He pleaded with the Lord. He prayed Prayer is essential in expressing your heart to the Lord, Lord, I cannot continue like this, with this area of blatant barrenness in my life. Lord, it must change. And I believe the Lord has heard your prayers, just like He heard the prayer of Isaac. And I'm sure Isaac had prayed before about it, but he got really serious and said, Lord, this has to end, and it has to end now and the Lord responded. Notice it says that he pleaded, he pleaded with the Lord. Now that is a form of prayer. In the Hebrew, the word pleaded is the Hebrew word athar, and this is fascinating. It literally means in the Hebrew to burn incense in worship. Wow. So as we have seen throughout Scripture, even in the final book of the Bible, the book of uh, the revelation of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, you see a lot about incense burning in the temple. The incense was a symbol of, and particularly the smoke going up, of the prayers of the saints going up to God. And when the incense is pure and holy, as it was designed to be, and only the priests were allowed to be involved in the, the incense offering, then when that goes up properly, it's pleasing to the Lord. In other words, the, the prayer, the incense, the prayer is in harmony with God's will. From a New Testament perspective, you could say that the prayer, it lines up with Scripture. It's, it's in accordance with the will of God, and so that smoke rising from the burning incense, that prayer going up is heard from the Lord. The easiest prayer to get answered Is a prayer that is in agreement with the will of God and the Word of God for your life, and the Lord delivered Rebecca from the barrenness. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! God hears and answers prayer, and you've been praying. You've been praying, and God has heard, and your your areas of barrenness are falling completely away from you tonight. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Genesis chapter 29. Let's continue to look into the power of God to deliver from barrenness. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, He opened her womb, but Rachel, Rachel was unloved. Barren. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Of course, Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. But these men and their individual wife that they had, they were barren. These women were barren. Did you notice that the great matriarchs of the Bible they could not produce? They did not have the ability to produce they needed God to step in, or else it wasn't going to it wasn't going to happen and we see it again here with Rachel now God is going to do a miracle and he's going to answer her prayer Genesis chapter thirty verse twenty two excuse me it says then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her room now I have my own personal beliefs of why it was difficult for Rachel, but not, not so much for Leah. Um, It does appear that Rachel, in her life, she had some issues with idolatry. I mean, she, when her and her sister left with their husband Jacob, because he had two wives, and they were both sisters, Uh, whew, what a mess. But as it were, but you know, he got tricked into that. He could, you know, it was, it was, it was difficult, but God, God was working in it. But the thing was, is that when they left Laban, Rachel took her father's little idols, she took, she took them with her. So there was something in her heart that had this area of not being completely devoted to the Lord. And I believe in that case, that was a cause for her barrenness, not not all co- not all cases of barrenness can be attributed to something that that person is doing wrong, but from what I've seen in the life of Rachel, there was a major area in her life that she had to get conquered, and that was this thing with these idols. Mm-mm. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived, and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. Woo! Praise God. And aren't you glad that Joseph came along? Uh, He was special. No question about it, he was something special. And uh, he was, he was brilliant, and he was, it said he was extremely handsome, and he had a tremendous, he had a tremendous shape. And you put all of that together, um, uh, he was quite a handful. And uh, it appears that, all the ladies in Egypt were aware of that, uh, none, and he he was holy. He was holy. He was a holy man because he he was walking in the ways of the Lord. But you know, when he was in that, that Egyptian culture, uh, quite interesting when you read the Talmud and you hear about some of the stories uh, that talk about just how how incredibly good looking of a man he actually was. Uh, it actually says the Jewish rabbis actually say that. Potiphar 's wife was literally just in in grief over having to look at this guy, uh, you know run the office, so to speak, and to do the things around the house and When her friends came over, her girlfriends came over they would they would say to her, "How in the world do you keep yourself sane when a man like this is walking around the house because he was something else. Well, uh, he had a very, very beautiful mother, and he also had a very handsome father. You put that together and usually you're going to have some really good-looking children, praise the Lord, and that was certainly the case with Joseph. The Bible is a very colorful book, praise God. So Rachel, who was barren, she got, yes, she did, she got her miracle, praise God, and she gave us Joseph. And of course, between uh, those two and their handmaidens, we have the twelve sons of Jacob, who became the 12 patriarchs and who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Praise the Lord. So thank God that He is able, the Lord is able to remove every vesture of barrenness out of your life. Woo! Glory to God. I see it leaving. I see it completely leaving. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Sometimes when there is mockery or being made fun of, or just not received, or a sense maybe even of rejection, that can be an element of barrenness. Maybe you haven't been able to put your finger on it, but you have been uh, one who has felt those uh, elements of rejection, or certain words, or just never being able to fit in, or whatever it might be that could be because of a type of barrenness that maybe somebody else sees in you, and maybe there's a mocking. Now, of course, back in the Old Testament days, if the woman was barren, that was one of the most humiliating things that a woman could go through. Uh, Culturally, uh, because, you know, everything in those days rode on the husband and the wife producing an heir, preferably a son. And when you couldn't do that, uh, it, it was culturally it was a very difficult thing for a woman to live with. But whatever that form of barrenness is, God is healing now, and He's taking it completely away, just like He did for these great women of the Bible. But my friends, we're not through yet. Let's go to the book of Judges, and we need to look at another example. Praise the Lord. Judges chapter 13 Verse two. Now I'm talking about the prophetic word of what the Lord is going to do for you in 2021, removing all barrenness out of your life, this inability to produce, this inability for uh, momentum to be generated, for a breakthrough for things to go in the direction that you know that they should go, but yet it's not working. That is being broken off tonight. Praise the Lord and your productivity. Your ability to produce is coming online, full power ahead, praise God. Genesis, excuse me, Judges chapter 13, let's drop down the verse 2 and 3. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, of the family of the Danites, oh, so the deliverer is going to come out of the tribe of Dan, yes he is, Mm-mm. whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and had no children. Did you notice that She's barren, had no children. Pastor Stephen, how come she didn't have any children? Because she's barren. What's her name? What is her name? It's not mentioned, is it? No, it's not. Verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren, yep, she knows that, and have borne no children. Yes, she's painfully aware of that. But, but, you shall conceive and bear a son and when the Lord brings the Word of conception and the ability to now produce, trust me, it's bye-bye to barrenness. mm Those who once laughed behind your back, they're going to see a change, and the next thing you know, you're going to have to learn how to deal with envy and jealousy. mm Praise the Lord when they see what God has done in your life. By the way, in in the Talmud, it does give her name. The Jews are very good with details and writing things down in their beautiful lineage and ancestry. And the Talmud is a commentary on the Old Testament scriptures by the wisest rabbis and the sages of their times, praise the Lord. And they say that Samson's mother, her name was Sidlel Ponet, Sidlel Ponet. Well, Pastor Stephen, if that's her name, why is it not in the Bible? Remember that when you read the inspired Word of God, the infallible, eternal Word of God, that you're not reading a history book. Oh, yes, you're going to get a lot of history. There's a lot of history in here, but that's not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to teach God's Word, God's Laws, God's ways, God's instructions. It is a book of teaching, praise the Lord. And the Holy Spirit, he, re- he recounts absolutely certain names, stories, sometimes very minute details, but when He's doing that, He does that and makes sure that they are recorded in the Word, because if it's in there, there's a teaching that can be extracted and derived from that story that's applicable to our lives. Pastor Stephen, I want to know if Paul the Apostle was married. Well, there are some verses that could, could maybe hint that he was. What about all the other Apostles? Well, most likely they were, but there's just a lot of details that are not included. Why? It's not a history book. It's a teaching book, and what's there is there because there's a story in it that we need to be aware of, praise God. By the way, Samson's mother, as we look a little bit more on the historical side, uh, her name being Sid Leoponit, is a name that's common, uh, not not super common, but a name that's pretty common in Israel today, and you you run ac- across quite a few women who actually have this name because in Jewish culture, particularly if you live in Israel, you're you're familiar with the the lineage the beautiful lineage of the Jewish people so there are quite a few ladies today in this world that actually have this name and the the first part of that name Sidlel is actually in the Hebrew a reference to a shadow and the Jewish rabbis taught that when the mother of Samson saw that angel and that that form that figure it was kind of like a shadowy type angelic form and that's why. Uh, she has that name, but in the Hebrew her name is plural. Why? The angel appeared to her twice. She said, hey, look, my husband's not here. You're going to have to come back <laughs> so that he can see you <laughs> and really believe this happened. So he came back <laughs> uh, twice. That's why uh, her name has that plural meaning of that angelic sight that she saw. Who praise God. Mm-mm. But my friends, just think that Samson this deliverer from the tribe of Dan and the tremendous, the tremendous anointing of the Spirit of God upon his life came from a woman that was once barren. Wow. Hallelujah. Look, all barrenness is being extracted out of your life right now by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And it's being replaced by anointing, empowerment to do what God has called you to do and to be the person that God has called you to be. Praise the Lord. My friends, we're not quite done yet. We need to dig just a little bit deeper. Our next stop would be in the book of 1 Samuel. Many of you love this story. For some of you, this would probably be, uh, maybe for some of you, your your, your favorite woman in the Bible, in the sense from the Old Testament. And yes, this is referring to Hannah. 1 Samuel, chapter 1 verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. You have all these wonderful individuals from the different tribes. And he had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Mm-mm. Now, get ready for this next verse. We have to, we have to receive the Word of God. We have to assimilate it. We have to meditate upon it, digest it, and make it applicable to our lives. Are you ready to take your fork and stick it into this piece of filet mignon? Here we go, verse 5. But to Hannah, that's the husband, but to Hannah he, the husband, would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Woo! That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And here she has everything, preferential treatment, double portion. The husband really has the eye for her, but no child. But yet the other, the other wife, um, just over there, you know, able to produce, things are going along just fine for her. But yet here's Hannah, really wants to serve God, has a heart for God, loves the Lord, loves to, loves the, uh, You know, the tabernacle structure, uh, loves to worship God, but yet here, she's the one that's barren. Doesn't seem to make any sense. What's going on? Why in the world will the Lord close her womb? I'll tell you exactly why. And uh, And if you'll catch this, you'll begin to get a glimpse of why there has been barrenness and inability to produce in your life. And it's because that concerning Hannah, and I believe concerning you, there was a divine reason for the closing of the womb, a divine reason for an inability to produce. Well, Pastor Stephen, what in the world could that reason be? God wanted a prophet. That's why. And if He's going to get a prophet. Somebody's going to have to give birth to this new prophet that he wants to bring on the scene. Bring on the scene a prophet right in the midst of a bunch of total corruption. Oh, the priesthood, a lot of corruption, a lot of corruption going on there. And as it says in the book of Judges, the people just did what they thought was right in their own eyes. How many of you know we can go in a million different directions with that? Because everybody outside of the Lord has their own opinion on what's right and wrong. And uh, that can just go all over the place. And really, I'll tell you where it leads to, total insanity. Well, I've got my own ideas on this, Pastor Stephen, I think this is right. Well, I think that's right. Before you know it, you've got, you've got crazy people thinking that what they think is right. And then where's it going to go? It's going to go downhill. And so there needs to be a prophet on the scene. And so God's got to, He's got to bring this prophet into the earth, and He needs somebody that's very devoted, that has a heart for God, so that that nature is also transferred into the child, because this is a special child. mm Verse 10, and she was in bitterness of soul. Maybe some of you have been too, with your barrenness, some bitterness. Mm, and prayed to the Lord. See, prayer is involved in the removing of the, the agony of barrenness. And the Lord has heard your prayers. Then she made a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, what was the affliction? Her barrenness. And remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. She probably never ever would have made a vow like that, would have really gone full, full all out for the Lord, if she had never been barren. She, if she would, if she could produce, she would have had a, a son, and would have then had some more children, and would have had a nice life with the double portion, and just live in your tent, and be happy, your husband loves you, and everything is normal. But it's not. It's not when you hit this area of barrenness, and it's very interesting when God is involved in the barrenness Himself. Higher purpose going on here. A higher purpose than you just, well, this doesn't make any sense. There's a higher purpose going on, and it's a divine purpose. Praise the Lord. And this brings me to the, the individual that I want us to see now. As we're, now we're going to move to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter One, Praise God. Twenty twenty one, you're going to make up for lost time with so so much productivity that it's going to make it's going by the time you're done, people are going to think you did more this year than you did in ten years put together. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. For some of you, there will be people that will look at you and say you got more done this year than you've done in the last seven years. Mm-mm. Pastor Stephen, I've been doing good. We cannot make excuses for barrenness. I was around a, a minister one time, and he was real arrogant. Why? He had just hired his fourth employee, and he thought, he thought that the whole realm of Christendom should bow down and look up to him as the example of what real productivity was. And he had four employees, and he was, uh, he was ready to ride, he was ready to ride out on a white stallion. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like telling him about the pastor, the one particular pastor who has 29,000 employees on payroll. I, I I didn't, I just didn't think I'd mention it to him. But probably, he probably couldn't even absorb something like that. Oh, no, no, Pastor Stephen, you mean he has 29,000 church members. No. No, the, the the church is in the hundreds of thousands. He has on staff 29,000 employees full-time on staff that get checks every two weeks. So how does four stack up against 29,000? Look, some people think they've arrived, and they're, they're, they're afraid to identify. This is not working the way that it should, but when you see it, and you say, "I can't go on like this. this is not normal Now God can have different walks and different callings and uh, different areas of assignment. Um, there's different vessels in the church uh, you have you know different types of callings, some to a smaller area, some to a larger area, some to a global platform. I can understand that, but sometimes we act like something is so grand, and I think the Lord sits back and says, "Hey." I can take you a lot farther than that if you'd like to go. If you would realize that this is not full productivity, maybe this is not even like eight or nine percent. Let's go further. Praise God! But let's let's first identify that we can't continue like this. This is not God's best. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. I was having some of my clothes tailored and I was in Charlotte having uh, these were a couple of safari suits and I was getting them done by a tailor from Hong Kong this tailor he travels around the world to various locations and he'll he'll set up in a hotel and you go to the hotel and he'll measure you and then he'll create the safari suit that will fit you perfect and I was in Charlotte meeting with him, and uh, he was taking my measurements, and my wife, my wife said to him, do you do any other suits for any other ministers besides my husband? He said, yes, there is one other minister that we do have a, we do have on our books, and we do his we do his clothing. And I, I, I knew what my wife was thinking. I said, Kelly, it would never be that minister. Uh, she said, is it Bishop so-and-so? He said, well, let me look. And he went through his, you know, all of his listings of his clients. And he said, yes, he's that minister. He said, he said, so I make his suits and I make yours too. I make your safari suits and I, I make all of his clothing that you see him wear. Praise the Lord. Same, same pastor that has 29,000 people on, on payroll, on staff. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Same, the same man's making his and my safari suits. Praise the Lord. Small world. <laughs> Kelly said, I knew it. She said, I knew it. Praise the Lord. Well, it's true. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Lord is removing the garments. Of barrenness, off of your life, and he's going to put the garments on you, custom designed, tailored by the Holy Spirit, that he wants you to walk in. oh Pastor Steve, but I can never walk in those places. you can when you get rid of barrenness. Woo, praise the Lord, get ready to go with the Lord, get ready to go with the Lord to some very very exciting places. Mm-mm. We are now in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 1. Let's go to verse 5. Praise God. I see new anointings, new mantles falling upon you to walk into these new areas that God destined before you ever were born to step into these places. Mm -mm. And you're not walking in barren. You're walking in latent with the power of God upon your life. Hallelujah. These restraints are removed now, in the name of Jesus, praise God. You're moving forward. You're moving forward. Verse 5, there was, in the days of Herod, well, this would be him, Herod. Well, historians call him Herod the Great. Let's go ahead and give him that title, although he's probably not in a good place right now. I'm sure he, he's in hell. He was a horrible man. This is Herod the Great. Yes, the same one that had all the little innocent children murdered and slaughtered, because he was afraid that the Messiah was going to be born and show up. Well, the Lord's purposes and plans were hidden and concealed, and Herod never got Jesus. Oh, he was also after John the Baptist, never got him either. But he murdered uh, countless, countless innocent, sweet, young little children. Matter of fact, when Herod came to power, he executed and had killed the entire Jewish Sanhedrin, a very wicked man, appointed by Mark Antony, the ruler of the Roman Empire. He appointed Herod to reign over the area of Israel. It was a vast area, of course, that he ruled over. But he was a monster. He was a horrible man. Now, we, we have to admit he was a great builder. But you know what? When you have that kind of wealth, and you have that kind of power, I mean, Really, who couldn't build something good when you have that many architects to back you up and that many designers to help you? Sure, anybody could build something great. But he did build some pretty remarkable structures. He built Masada, uh, and so when you go to Masada and you see his uh, winter fortress, you're like, yeah, that that's pretty impressive. And uh, his crowning achievement was uh, basically the Second Temple. Uh, you had Solomon's Temple, but it was destroyed. It was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. But later, uh, when Herod came along, he took that temple down to the foundation. And then he expanded that Mount Moriah plateau. And he built outward by building a massive retaining wall that's called the Western Wall. So he built the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall, but it's monumental. And He laid those huge stones all the way down to the bedrock and built it up, built it up, so that there's a much larger plateau now up on the Temple Mount. And once that retaining wall was built, then He just filled in that back area with stone and dirt and rubble, packed it, and then laid a phenomenal stone pavement on top. And that's where the temple that the Lord Jesus walked into existed. It was known as Herod's Temple. It's the Jewish temple, God's temple, but it was actually built by Herod himself, and it was at that time the greatest wonder in the world. Uh, They said, hey, if you ever want to see a structure that tops any structure, come look at Herod's temple. And he did that to please the Jewish people because he wanted a peaceful reign, although the Jews never liked him. Now you do read about other Herods in the Bible. You had his son, Herod Antipas, who ruled over the area of Galilee. That would be the, you know, the foolish Herod that had John the Baptist killed later, but that was like 30, 32 years later. And then you had Herod Agrippa, the grandson, but they were way down on the totem pole. They never had the uh, total kingship and complete dominion like Herod the Great had there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest. Oh, so he's a priest. He would be from the tribe of Levi, and he's a priest, so he's a Kohanim. Now, the Levites themselves were not priests. The Levites did work and serve at the temple, but they could not go into the holy place, and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. But the priest. They had those very sacred ceremonial duties, and the Levites they did all of the maybe we could call it the work. They split the wood, they did many types of chores. They uh, were also the temple guards, and they did other things. Uh, Many of them were actually very skilled musicians. Some of them were extraordinary singers, but they were involved very very much in the temple. So we see here that Zechariah is a priest a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah now abijah is one of the priestly families david he he had he had to divide the priest the the levites they had grown so much and that tribe had gotten so large, and of course, all the priests in that tribe just got into the thousands. Really, it was actually over 20,000 priests during the time of David. And they say even in Jerusalem, during the time of Jesus, which is uh, you know getting close to this time right here, there were over 20,000 priests alone in Jerusalem. So that's that's a lot. But David divided the priestly families into 24 groups. Uh, for fun, if you want to read about that that 's first Chron- chronicles chapter twenty four uh it 's very fascinating because these priestly families, these priestly groups they served at the temple on a rotating basis it 's pretty cool it 's like maybe here 's an analogy If you have the collegiate basketball championship, they call it March Madness. And so, what's going to happen is you're going to have a final group of teams that are competing for the title. Maybe you get eight of them together. Uh, it's down to the final eight. Well, it's all going to be held though at one stadium. Now, all the other you know preliminary rounds were held at other different stadiums around the country. But you get down to the final sixteen, the final eight. They're all there at that same place, and they've each got their own locker room. Well, it was the same thing with the with these priestly families when they would go up to the temple, particularly here, uh, Herod's temple. Uh, when you would go up, you, you had your own area there in the temple that you would go to according to your priestly family it 's like you had your own locker room and you would go in there, and there would be the uh, the, the white linen for the Levites, and there would be the, the priestly robes that the priest would wear, so it was very, very well structured and You would go up as a priest on a rotating basis, and not all of the priests lived in Jerusalem. Zechariah did not live there. So he's going up, and when they went up, they would stay there for one week, one full week, he and that whole group, and you are there from Sabbath to Sabbath. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Now, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, when David, you know, he established these 24 priestly families and divided them all up, uh, but then later with Solomon, then the Solomon kingdom ended, and then there was the split, northern Part of Israel, southern part of Israel, 10 tribes up north, two tribes down south. And really, when they go into Babylonian captivity and they come back, well, the priests that came back, only four tribes came back out of the twenty-four. Now, we do know eventually that the others, uh, there were those other tribes, uh, it's not other tribes, but other priestly families that eventually left Babylon also finally made it back to Jerusalem, and got the number back up to twenty-four again, and that's where we're at right now at this point with Zacharias. He's of the division of Abijah. That's the, uh, technically that would be the eighth priestly group out of the twenty-four so he 's in that eighth division. His wife was of the daughters of aaron ooh that 's pretty cool, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, a priest or a Levite were not required to marry strictly within their tribe. They could marry you know anybody else in the eleven tribes. Now it had to be an Israelite, of course, but you know they could have married somebody from the tribe of Judah or, or Benjamin or something like that. But this, this shows a great devotion to the work of the Lord, and it's considered among the rabbis as being extremely honorable that you keep your marriage within the family of those who are going to be at the temple. So they were held in very high honor by the priest and by the Levites, because she herself is a daughter of Aaron, that's the priestly tribe. Now, of course, you would, back in those days, you had to be a man to be a Levite servant or a priest there at the temple. But this is very special. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous. Are you ready for verse 6? Here we go. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. This is too good to move over quickly. We're going to, we're going to look at this a little closer in just a moment. I want to swing back to it. But let's go down to verse 8 just for a moment. So it was that while he, that would be Zechariah, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, he's the eighth order out of the 24 of his division, according, look at this, look at verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot, failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Every day, there at the temple, two offerings, the morning offering, and the afternoon-evening type offering, one in the morning, one in the late afternoon. This is in reference here to the morning offering. In the morning, at the temple, every morning, four lots are drawn. The first lot that is drawn among the priest Is for those that are going to go to the altar of burnt offering and they're going to take all of the ashes away from the fire that was burning overnight. Any parts of animals, legs or hooves or whatever, that were left over that did not burn completely from the fire from the night before they're going to take those pieces and they're going to kind of regroup them together lay them out and they're going to get that fire going again and they're going to burn those remaining parts of the sacrifice that were not consumed that's what they're doing they're getting that ready second lot is drawn and by the way this is this is high honor this is high honor to be able to be called to be able to do this second lot is drawn that is for those that are going to go into the holy place. Two of them, two priests, they're going to go in, they're going to check on the golden lampstand, had to be done every morning. They're going to take the oil, any oil that did not burn, they're going to remove it. It was olive oil, pure olive oil, but, and it burns, and there would be a wick in each of the seven, uh, it's one lampstand, but it's got the seven branches, also called the menorah. They're going to go, and they're going to replace every single wick. They're going to change out the oil. They're going to put fresh oil in, and get everything ready for the menorah. Now, it's got seven of these wicks, seven of these little cups on top with the oil. Technically, they're only going to do the five. They're going to do the two later after the incense is offered. But that's what the second lot involves. Okay, here's the big one. Lot number 3. Guess who got lot number 3? It's the lot any priest lives for. This one is so special. You only get. Now listen to this. You only you only get to do it. If you're drawn for it, you only get to do it once in your life. And if you've ever done it, you are never allowed to draw for it again. Let me see if I can explain this. He is drawing the lot, he has drawn the lot to burn incense according to the custom of the priesthood. At this time, historians tell us that just in Jerusalem alone, you have about 20,000 plus priests. That doesn't include the priests that are living in some of the Judean hill country, these other places where they decide to live. Remember, they don't always live in Jerusalem. There's so many of them. They live in other places, and they go up. They go up when it's time for their cycle to rotate in and spend their week there. Then they go back to their homes. But you did have those that lived there. Out of all of these priests, 20,000 plus priests, for the lot to fall to you when there are so many other priests, first of all, the odds are against you. But the thing is, is that if you are chosen, this is the thrill of a lifetime. You're going to be the one that's going to go into the Holy of Holies. Now, those that drew the second lot, they also have carried in the coals from off of the altar. They put them in a golden pot that Bezalel made way back in the days of Moses, and they take that into the Holy of Holies and they set it. There, next to the altar of incense. They don't touch it, they don't do anything with it, they just set it there. And you, with the third lot, you now go and you're allowed to get the golden incense. And you put it, excuse me, the incense had that gold, beautiful color, and you put it in a silver bowl and you're going to carry it into the Holy of Holies. Because you have been selected, you've drawn that third lot, you're going to be the one that's going to ignite the incense on the altar of incense you're allowed to select two of your closest priestly friends that are there to go with you, because they're going to assist you, and they're going to aid you. And now it has come time to offer up the holy incense offering. They've already taken the burnt offering. It's a lamb. They've already, they've already slain the lamb. They've already sectioned it off, cut it up into pieces, did everything according to the Mosaic Law. It's already burning. It's already burning on the burnt offering now the time has come. You go through the beautiful curtains that take you from the outer court into the holy place. You go through the curtains that are blue, purple, and crimson, with cherubim uh, and and beautiful uh, ribbon work engrafted into this phenomenal curtain. You go through, and now you're in the holy place. The only light in the holy place is the menorah the golden lampstand. There's nothing else producing light in there. If you didn't have that oil burning, you couldn't see anything. But there it is, the golden lampstand would be the first thing you saw there on the left. The priest has prepared his entire life for this one moment that can only happen once in your lifetime. He goes and he sees the golden lampstand made out of solid gold, representing Jesus, the light of the world representing the oil in, in the manure, representing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now if you're to turn distinctly now to your, uh, to your right, over on the other side, the table of showbread, made of acacia wood, and covered with pure gold, glistening, beautiful gold, thick gold covering, with a beautiful crown on top to keep anything from rolling off or falling off, and there would be the twelve loaves Of showbread, also called the bread of his presence, because it sits before the presence of the Lord right on the other side of the veil. Twelve loaves in two stacks of six each, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. The loaves were sprinkled with frankincense, representing faith. Now, the loaves, although, although they sat there, each loaf weighed 11 pounds. Although they sat there for one full week, Sabbath to Sabbath, at the end of the Sabbath they were eaten by the high priest and the other priest. Although they sat there in the open air within the holy place for one week, they never, the loaves never, ever had mold, they never became stale, and they never became dry. There was a special Jewish family that was responsible for making the showbread and nobody else could make it like them nobody else knew the secret ingredient they put in there others tried to replicate it they couldn't do it but you would see it sitting there the table of showbread and the 12 loaves 6 and 6 representing christ the broken bread mm that feeds the body of christ hallelujah praise god for the eternal word of god then looking straight ahead Right in front of the curtain that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. There is the beautiful altar of incense, also made of acacia wood. Acacia is a wood that is called the eternal wood, it, it's like it lasts forever. Also, wood representing humanity, the gold overlaying it, covering it, representing the deity of God, representing Christ, all man all God. Pastor Stephen, I don't understand it. It's okay, it's called the Divine Mystery. (laughs) Hallelujah. But here now we have this beautiful golden altar of incense. Now, the assistants have done their part. They have brought in everything that's needed for the priest that is going to ignite the incense having now everything prepared, the two assistants leave the holy place. The only person in there now is the priest who has drawn that lot. He's the special person. He's the one running things now. This is not what the high priest does. Now the high priest would do this from time to time. The high priest is mainly going to do his thing once a year coming into the Holy of Holies. But this is the high moment of any priest's life to stand before the altar of incense, and to ignite the incense. Why? The Jewish rabbis have taught that there was a special blessing associated and imparted into the priest that lights that incense, and that the moment that he ignites the incense, that that blessing is released into his life. I'm wondering if I should tell you what it was, or or maybe I should, maybe I should make us wait just a little bit. It's in my new book. I'm, I'm, I'm literally on the last chapter trying to wrap this book up, and I reveal what that secret was. Woo! And it's, it's real, and it's real. And it can also happen to the New Testament saint as well. But my friends, let me say this. When he ignited that incense, hot coals, the beautiful incense on top of it, and the smoke starts to rise. And by the way, 11 very beautiful, um, some of them extremely rare and exotic spices. We have five that are mentioned in the, in the Bible, but the Talmud and the Jewish commentators tell us that there were 11 total because it's, it's in a sense, a secret recipe. But there was one spice that was put in there that was called, the, basically in the Hebrew, it, 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 the name of it is smoke riser. And it was, it was an ingredient that allowed the smoke to go up perfectly, and then spread out at the exact right way, in the exact right spot. And there was only one priestly family that knew how to make it. That would be the family of Abtinus. But my friends, as Zecharias stood there, he's going to have a visit from an angel, and barrenness is about to be removed from his wife. Mm-mm. Verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing where? On the right side of the altar of incense. And remember, he's the one offering the incense. Woo! Glory to God. This was a day he never forgot. And this was the day for any priest outside of the high priest, This was the day for any priest. This is your highest moment. You'll never be allowed to do it ever again. Mm -mm. The angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now this word, your prayer, your prayer, in the Greek is the word desis, and it means urgent request. You can picture this old priest with his old godly wife, they're getting old. You can picture the urgency in this man's heart. God, I'm so old. And my wife is so old and she's still barren. Lord, we're running out of time. And some of you have thought, Lord, we're nearing the end. We're getting closer and closer to the end. Lord, when will you touch my life? When will you work through me and display your glory through me? God, how long must I wait and deal with this barrenness? When will my time come? Why am I barren? We have to ask this question. praise the Lord. What's going on? It's now time to go back to, the, back to verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, and blameless. Well, they should be barren. Barrenness was a representation of somebody had, who had disobeyed the Lord. We see that very clearly in the book of Exodus. There's other scriptures referring to it as well, but this would suffice. Exodus chapter 23, verse 26, No one, no one who's obedient to the law of God and His commandments, no one shall suffer miscarriage, or be barren in your land, or be barren in your land. No one. Well, if they're obedient, and they're doing all that re- God required of them, and they can't possibly do anything more, that doesn't mean they haven't sinned or made mistakes, but as far as a heart for God and quick to repent and, and follow all the commandments of the Lord, they're blameless. They're doing it perfect. Why? Why is she barren then? When you see something like that, and you see reflections of that in your life, you have to understand then something different is going on. What, Pastor Stephen? A higher purpose. What kind of purpose? A divine purpose. Something that God is up to. Well, Pastor Stephen, what would that be? What would that be? Well, let me say this first of all. It's something that highly, highly revolves around the element of time. And if the time's not right, you can pray until you can't pray anymore. And you do need to pray. But until the time is right, it's not going to happen. But when the time is right, it gets Released, praise the Lord. Well, time for what, Pastor Stephen? Time for God's purpose, which is to bring forth a prophet, a prophet like they haven't even seen before, even in the Old Testament, a prophet that Jesus would later say is greater than all that were under the Old Testament system, the Old Law system. Hold on, hold, hold on, Pastor Stephen greater than Moses? I mean, Pastor Stephen, I've read about John the Baptist. He didn't really do any miracles that I know of, but yet Moses, he, 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 worked with God, split the Red Sea in half. How in the world can John have a ministry that stands on a higher level than Moses? Well, Pastor Stephen, you've forgotten about Elijah. I mean, this is the man that called down fire from Heaven. I didn't see John do that, but yet Jesus attributes a greater status in the eyes of God towards John? then the status of Elijah, of David, of Jeremiah, of Isaiah? How could such thing be? How can that be? I can explain it to you very simply. Go with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Praise the Lord. All barrenness is loosing you now in the name of the Lord. It has to. The anointing of the Spirit of God is upon your life. Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Get ready to sing? Rejoice! Hallelujah! Mm -mm. John, chapter 1, Why all the barrenness? What was all it about? To bring forth a prophet named John. Oh, Pastor Stephen, he's just another prophet. No, he's not. Well, how can he be greater than all these other guys that did phenomenal miracles? I'll show you why. In one verse, John 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold. In other words, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You ready for one more? Verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked and said, As he walked, he, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, that's him right over there. Hey, fellas, he's talking to his disciples. You see that guy over there walking over there? Yeah, that man right there is the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah right there. Now, show me any other prophet in the Old Testament who had that honor. Show me any other prophet who did that. There is none. All of the others, Moses, Elijah, Enoch, all of these others, they prophesied of the one to come. But John had the distinct privilege of saying, hey, yeah, he's coming, but the day came when John was the one who said, there he is. And that, that, because he is the announcer of the Messiah himself, lifts him to a lofty status above any other Old Testament prophet, because he was the one that actually said, that's him. Right there, praise the Lord. Now, we of course thank the Lord for our position in Christ. Woo, glory to God, because we have a better covenant. Praise the Lord. My friends, this element of timing is very, very important to the Lord. He has a purpose, and when the timing is right, He releases the ability to produce, He releases the ability to step onto the scene and do what he had planned for you to do before you were ever born praise god thank you jesus it reminds me of galatians chapter 3 of the reference in the word of god what takes place when we reach the age of maturity and we move into that realm of walking with god by faith as seen in galatians chapter 3 verse 24 Therefore the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Well, Pastor Stephen, how come it didn't happen sooner? You weren't ready. It wasn't time. Others have had their times. One of the worst things, please hear me carefully. One of the worst things for a man or woman that can ever happen to them is to get through that door prematurely and get out there and start doing something that it's not yet time for. Even if it's on the books, even if they're picking up certain elements, but the fullness of that time has not yet come, you can ruin the whole thing. Well, the door's not open, Pastor Stephen, I'm going to break it down. Yeah, you you broke the door, all right, now we have a real problem, because uh, we don't really have a way to fix it. You You got out of the gate too soon. So there's this element of barrenness where on purpose it's like you're in a golden cage you 're in a golden cage and you want to get out and fly around and you can't why you're you're barren and you and you can't and there that a part of that is god's love as he waits until you're mature so that you don't destroy yourself so that you're established and your walk with the Lord is rock solid we've we've had enough shooting stars shoot up, explode, or implode, and then they're done. And it lasted for a few years, and it's over. Uh, That's not the way that God wants to do it. And you can have others that will rush you out there, and put you out there, and uh, you know, just, but they don't have your best interest at heart. But God does. And so when you submit to that, much more when God is almost, in a sense, enforcing it, with a sense of barrenness that you can't do anything about, Then you just praise him and worship him. It doesn't mean though you don't you you stop praying because even as Zechariah was like God, you're going to have to do it, Lord. But he obviously knew, hey, something's going to have to happen soon because we're at the stepping off point where I mean, you know, your, your life is is going to end before too much longer. But God did the miracle. God did the miracle. Hallelujah! And He removed it from Elizabeth, all the barrenness, and she rejoiced. She rejoiced. I believe that 2021 is the time that you step out into the fullness of what you've dreamed about, of what you have envisioned, of what you have gotten glimpses of when you've prayed, and this is the time that you move into it with the empowerment and blessing of the Lord. I speak over your life right now. I rebuke every form of barrenness in your life. Go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I rebuke barrenness in the name of Jesus, and may you be fruitful, and may you multiply, and may you taste Isaiah chapter 54, not, uh, uh, not just jumping through it, but now that you've made the journey fully through verse 1, may you really enjoy verses 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Why? You're not barren anymore. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. I'm telling you, God's with you. Mm-mm. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Praise God. So there's a time for singing. Why? The barrenness has been removed by the mercy, grace, and love of God. Praise the Lord. The Lord has heard your prayers, and of course, you keep your prayer life going. You keep your prayer life going. But I, I I've gotten in my spirit this message from the Lord that for this season, this time, barrenness is gone, and you're stepping in. Praise the Lord. Father, I pray for your people that they take this word, and chew on your word, and that as they have gone through Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, and the barrenness is now over through prophetic decree and utterance of the anointing by the Spirit of the Lord, now, Lord, may verse 2 and 3 be their portion. Father, may they have the double portion this year, and may all that you have intended to manifest in their, in their lives this year, may it come forth quickly Smoothly, with a flow, with an anointing. Father, we give you praise. God's going to show Himself mighty on your behalf. Now, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Say, Amen. Say, I receive. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, if you're watching this message and you have not yet made Christ your Lord and Savior, My friends, He's the only way. He's the only way. Our Heavenly Father is the only God that can answer prayer, and we pray to Him in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, and He is able to bless you. But if you don't know Christ, you're stuck in a spiritual wasteland of spiritual death. Receive Him now, and He'll give you His eternal life into your spirit, and you can be born again if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer out loud right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died on the cross for sinners like me. Jesus, I give my heart to you. Come into my life, come into my heart, and take charge, and take control. Lord Jesus, write my name and your book of life. Wash away all of my sins. Give me your eternal life. I receive you now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, and strengthen me to walk with you, and to live for you every day. In your name, I pray, amen, and amen. Praise God. And the Lord has heard that prayer, And He has answered that prayer, and you now safely belong to Him. Praise the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to take communion in just a moment. Before we take communion, let's close out this year, and let's step into the new year by honoring the Lord with a special offering. Praise the Lord. We love to follow the principles of God's Word. It says in the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse 22, that god established certain laws seasons of hot and cold seasons of summer and winter and he also said seed time and harvest shall never end those principles will never stop so let's honor the lord right now and sow a financial seed into the soil of this ministry that we might reach further into the new year and see more souls won for the lord I'll tell you what, one of my favorite things in the world is when I receive the printout report of those who have received Christ from listening to our programs, whether it's over the internet, whether it's over podcasts, or whether it's over television. When somebody says, Pastor Stephen, I prayed that sinner's prayer, and I've given my heart to Christ, I just want you to know that. It's the greatest joy in the world. Praise God and also to be able to teach and minister the Word to the body of Christ, and build the body of Christ up strong in faith, to me, is one of the greatest honors and privileges that I have in my life. Praise God. So your giving allows us to reach further, and we have beautiful plans for 2021 of extending the eternal Word further throughout the nations of the world, and your giving helps us to do that. I would ask you to sow a generous seed pray right now and ask God what he would have you do and husbands and wives be in agreement with with each other and sow that seed now i want you to sow it in faith and wrap expectancy around the seed that you're sowing whether you're going to mail it in or whether you're going to bring it in online through the internet wrap a seed that seed with expectancy and believe that God's going to multiply that seed uh, back to you with a beautiful harvest that is the harvest that you need in your life. Woo! Glory to God, and God's very best coming back to you. Praise God. Now, if you prefer to mail in your, your donation, your special offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, PO Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code is 28654 if you prefer to bring it in online, you can do so right now. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There on the homepage is a link called Giving. It's a red link with a heart on it called Giving. You can click on that, and you can bring your final donation of the year into the house of God, as well as positioning yourself with your seed for the new year. You're ready to go. Praise God. What a joy to give. What a joy to honor the Lord. The tithe belongs to Him, and we sowed the special seeds as love offerings to the Lord. Praise God. The incense is going up right now on the altar of worship. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Our prayers, our giving, our hearts, our whole lives going before the Lord as a fragrance that is pleasing to Him. I want to pray over your special offering, your final year-end offering or if you're watching this a day or two later, the first seed that you're sowing for the new year, let me pray for your seed right now. Father, bless that person that's sowing that seed. Let the harvest come back in the most miraculous way. Let this be the year, Father, where barrenness is so stripped and removed that their life is almost unidentifiable in those areas, because you bring them forth with such grace and beauty, and it's their time. It's their time. It's almost like they're getting the name change. Thank you, Father God. So, Father, all of those years, John the Baptist was in the wilderness. There came the point to come out, and Father, all of that preparation, even through a mother that was barren, but you removed her barrenness to bring forth the special purpose. I thank you that that you're bringing forth an end time prophetic purpose. Thank you, Father God. Let it rise in the hearts of your people. And let it be released back into their life, the seed they're sowing, the very best the 100-fold return, father, the very best return into their lives in Jesus. Mighty name, I pray. amen and amen and thank you so much for your giving on behalf of myself and Pastor Kelly. We love you so much, our entire ministry team and staff here. we love you and appreciate you this 2021 as a year of tremendous growth and expansion for you, because you passed through verse 1 of Isaiah 54, and now you're going to taste the fullness of verses 2 and 3. Now, as we're together, let's take Holy Communion together. Please grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. If you need to hit pause just for a moment, go grab it, and then hit play. You're right back with us, praise the Lord. And let's pray over these two elements. Father, thank you for this bread and this grape juice. Father, we set this apart as holy through this prayer, and we consecrate this bread and this juice now. And we thank you, Father, that while we still see bread and we still see grape juice, we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Christ under the veiled form of bread and juice. So, Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you for the removing of any portion of barrenness within any facet of our lives. We thank you for the removal of barrenness, and we thank you for beautiful, fresh productivity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your anointing. We receive your word, and we thank you that Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2 and 3, enlargement is ours. It's our time. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Father, thank You for the blood of Jesus. Father, if we have committed any sins, we ask corporately for ourselves for forgiveness. And Father, we ask that You would lead us away from temptation, and we ask that You would deliver us from the evil one and from evil, for Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank You for the blood of Jesus, for forgiveness, for right standing with You. Oh God, we give You praise for productivity that glorifies Your name, and purpose, and intent. Thank You, Father God. Thank You, Father God, for energy and strength coming forth by Your Holy Spirit into our lives. Father, we give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus praise god praise the lord praise the lord praise the lord yes america is going to have its struggles um, and the world is going to have its challenges the problems aren't going away but my friends we have a covenant with god and we stand on the word and we're going upstream we're going deeper into the glory of god hallelujah and the golden altar of incense, a representation of the prayers of the saints, a representation of your prayer life, had these golden circles, two on each side, so that these wooden staves that were overlaid with pure gold could be slipped through those rings and that it could be picked up and transported In other words, it's your prayer life, the altar of incense representing your prayer life, it's your prayer life that carries you into what? The presence of God. What's on the other side of the veil? The Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Mercy Seat. Many people think it's one piece of furniture It's actually two. The temple system had seven pieces of furniture. You had the brazen altar, then the brazen laver where you wash your hands, feet, so forth that. Then you come in to the holy place. Three more pieces, lampstand, showbread, altar of incense. Now Now we have five, and then two more, Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat that fit perfectly over at the top, giving us a completion of seven holy pieces of furniture. My friends, move into the holy of holies. Spend time with the Lord, spend time with the Lord. See, that's the purpose of prayer, to carry you into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Glory to God. Glory to God. And as you do so, you're going to see the Lord take you into some of the most amazing journeys you've ever had, and some of the most amazing experiences. Get ready. This is your year. God's with you. Father, I bless your people. We give you all of the glory and all of the praise. Father God, I thank you. We seal this word by your Spirit. The birds of the air will not steal the seed. They will not steal the word that has been stolen, that has been s- sown. <laughs> They're not going to steal the word. Thank you. The Holy Spirit is protecting this seed. The seed of the word has gone into your heart and will produce the 100 fold of faith, which in your life will produce these beautiful things. Father, we give you glory. We give you glory and praise glory, and praise. We're living in a time where there is so much theft. There is so much corruption. But what belongs to you will never be taken, because it's protected and sealed by the blood of Christ and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're stepping into what belongs to you this year. Get ready. My friends, it's been a great year together. Let's go into the new year praising the Lord, singing that all barrenness is gone. Praises to the Lord for what He has done. God bless you. See you back next time. Bye bye.